This is episode number 54, a behind-the-scenes coaching call. Listen in as I help Lindsay plan for a sub-three-hour marathon. The Strength Running Podcast is back. This is your host, Jason, and I'm glad to be back. You're in for a real treat today. I'm bringing back a very popular type of show, a behind-the-scenes coaching call. You'll see that we did this in episodes 6, 9, and 24, so if you missed those, definitely go back. They're a little bit different, and we are going to do it again today with Team Strength Running member, Lindsay. Before we start, I do just want to thank all of you guys. I just noticed that we got a surge of reviews in iTunes with titles like No Need for My Radio Anymore and My Favorite Running Podcast. I hope you aren't just trying to get on my good side, but no, I really do appreciate all the reviews, uh, the ratings, and all the goodwill. If you keep listening, I'll keep publishing episodes. All right, let's move on to the topic of today's show. I'm helping a fairly advanced female runner improve her marathon somewhat substantially. Lindsay is hoping to break three hours for 26.2 miles, and as we all know, that ain't easy. So I'm going to be asking her a lot of questions about her background, her training history, other race performances, and her upcoming race schedule. Also, I can get a bird's eye view of who Lindsay is as a runner and what I think will be the most helpful as she chases the sub three goal. As I tell her, a marathon time that starts with a two is just more exciting. I'm also excited to announce a new type of training plan available at Strength Running, and this is for the more advanced runner, for those who need more complexity in your training because you are a more complex runner. And now I'm finally able to incorporate all that complexity for the right type of athlete. Now I'll be the first to admit, only about 5% of you need this kind of more complex training. You've got to know the fundamentals first, and more importantly, have applied those fundamentals consistently for years to get to a level where you're physically ready to handle all that additional complexity. So what is that complexity? Sometimes it's running twice in one day. Other times it's more frequent workouts. But mostly it's the type of workouts that you're running. Faster runners can do more intricate workouts that are simply more complicated. So if you think you're that type of runner, go to strengthrunning.com fast and learn more about these plans and exactly who they are for. All right, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lindsay. All right, Lindsay, we're going to get started with our conversation now. I'm really excited to help you hopefully figure out the training that you need to run a sub three marathon. I know you're going to have more fun with a marathon time that begins with a two. So uh, let's just start by learning a little bit more about you, Lindsay. So uh, how old are you? I'm 29 and I'll be turning 30 right after the Boston Marathon. A couple days. All right. You are in peak marathon age range right here. So that's great news. Um, so that, that's, that's very encouraging. And how long have you been running for? I've been running a really long time. My I grew up in a family of runners, basically, so both my parents ran all the time. So I, I feel like my first race was probably when I was maybe six or seven years old. It was only like a mile or two, but I've basically been running pretty much since then. Um, a lot of variation in the mileage since then, but that's basically when I started. Wow. So did you run kind of 
structured, formal training when you were in high school, college? Like what, 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 what does your formal training look like? Yeah. So I ran through high school and a little bit in college. So, um, in high school I played a, a couple different sports. I played volleyball, basketball, swimming and track. Um, so I wasn't, I didn't focus really specifically on running in high school, Um, and then when I went to college, I ended up joining the track team after I got there, but then switched to playing volleyball and then switched back to cross country. So I've, I've always kind of been running, but I haven't really focused on it, uh, specifically until basically until a couple of years ago when I started working and that was really the most efficient method of exercise that I enjoyed, um, so I did run formally with the cross country training in college for two years. Um, but even within that two years, I studied abroad for a semester. So it still wasn't really a continuous um, training, I guess, that I've had. So, yeah, but you've had some some good, you know, experience with structured training. You've done workouts and long runs and strides and drills and races of different lengths. So you know, you've kind of been exposed to the general overall structure of how runners should train. So that's a big advantage for you. Um, and, and I'm glad, you know, over the last couple of years, you've started getting into the marathon. Uh, super exciting. Let's talk about your training over the last couple of years. Um, what kind of, you know, I, I know your mileage has varied a lot, but what kind of mileage levels have you been running since, you know, let's say maybe over the last three or four years? Um, so basically I've been running consistently the past about four years. So, uh, once I started working and I got onto like a normal schedule, I basically ran usually five times a week and usually five to six miles each run. Um, and then I started upping that when I started training for the first marathon that I did in 2016. Um, but essentially I've been doing that type of mileage or a little bit more, um, during training, but, um, basically consistently doing that. I did have an injury last winter. I fell on some ice and hurt my ankle pretty bad. So I had to take off about two or three months from that. But with, um, besides that, I've been consistently running the past three to four years. That's very good. Now, is this like 30 miles a week, 40 miles a week? What kind of weekly mileage? Yeah, I think it's more like 30 miles a week. 30 miles a week, you've run a 314.55 marathon in October 2016. Now, your peak mileage when you were getting ready for that race was a little higher, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. I think the peak mileage while prepping for that race was about 55 miles a week. Okay, so pretty pretty substantial increase in overall volume. You know, that's almost double. Uh, I You know, I would say for someone... Uh, running a low three hour marathon, especially, uh, especially a woman, you know, that's the kind of mileage that, you know, you should be running, you know, you're probably not going to get a lot faster if you only want to do it on 30 miles a week, you know, it's just not enough work to really support the amount of work that a sub three hour marathon really represents. So uh, it's encouraging that you have some experience with the higher mileage levels, but also it also is is encouraging that you were able to run a good marathon on you know not an extremely high volume program, not on years and years of, of high volume training. So 
there in itself is a huge area of improvement. Just running higher mileage just in general, kind of in between you know, training cycles when you're not running a marathon, that's going to be a big, um, a big win for you. Um, let's talk about some other events. You know, you've run, uh, I, I think when you ran your marathon in October of 2016, it was the longest race that you've ever done. And it was longer than, I think your longest race at that point had been 10K. Yeah, I'd only done one 10K prior to running that marathon. And it was the longest race I'd done since that 10K. Wow. So you didn't really do the age old <laughs> progression of I'm gonna do a 5k and then a 10k and then a half. And finally, I'm going to do a marathon. Yeah, I just ended up skipping the half marathon. So dived right in. I love it. So, you know, what are some of your other personal bests in those shorter race distances? And, and since that marathon in October 2016, have you raced a half? Um, yeah, so I did do a half marathon after that marathon, but it was only so basically after I hurt my ankle in the winter of last year, um, I had to take off, like I said, two to three months and I did do a half marathon, but it was only after I'd been running again for maybe a month and a half. Um, so I did, I ran a 135, so I was still very, very happy with that time given the lack of training that I did prior to that race. Uh, but that's the only half marathon that I've officially raced. What about your 5K PR? Because I know you've done a lot of 5Ks. My 5K PR is from undergrad when I ran in college, and it's uh, 1903 in cross-country race. 1903 cross-country. Now, cross-country is a, a slower kind of an event than, say, running a 5K on the track, which would be the fastest uh, way for you to, to run 5K. But um, so 1903 in 5K, what kind of 5K shape might you be in, say, now? I know you're getting ready for the 2018 Boston Marathon. Uh, how, how fast might you be right now if you were, say, you know, maybe not the day after a 20-mile long run, but, you know, when you're somewhat rested, instead of a workout, maybe you race a 5K. What do you think you might be able to do? I honestly think I could break 19 at this point. Um, I, there is some interval training that I've done like for this marathon that involves 5k race pace. And so the race pace I've been using right now is like a 550 to 555 mile pace. Right. Yeah. We're talking about 1830, 1840 or so, um, for, for a 5k time, maybe, maybe even a little faster based on those paces. Um, so I don't doubt that you're probably capable of running faster than that 1903 because number one if you do it on the road or on the track you know you're probably going to get five or ten seconds a mile uh because of the surface that you're running on just like trail races cross-country races you know they're just slower and then uh i I think you have the the higher mileage levels and the volume that is going to support something like this especially you know knowing the fact that you know, because you're in the thick of marathon training, even though you're tired, you're just so strong right now because of the mileage. So if, if we do use those paces to estimate what you might be able to do in a marathon, um, you know, we're, we're talking about a very, very low three hour marathon time. So I think that's really encouraging for you. Um, I, but I know you want to get under three. So let's talk a little bit about your training, this training cycle. So you're getting ready for Boston. You are hoping to break three or at least get a personal best 
Um, I'm sure you know, but Boston is not the easiest course out there. It's actually one of the harder ones. Uh, so first, good luck. It's, it's just a, it's a challenging course, but it's also a really interesting course. The crowd support's incredible. If you've never done it before, you're going to have a blast. But um, tell me a little bit more about how your training for this race has been different from your training for your first marathon. So I've actually been following the same training plan, just changing uh, what the essentially the goal pace is. So the training plan that I'm following, it was published by the Boston Athletic Association. So they put out a training plan like for the marathon, essentially for their runners that were doing it. And I followed that for the first uh, race that I did. And since it went so well, I decided to use the same training plan for this one. And in that training plan, um, I did the high volume one. So you typically run six times a week. I always take one rest day. Uh, and the mileage goes up to about 55 miles per week. Uh, it's, it's a longer training plan. It's 22 weeks long. And essentially every week, there's one kind of speed workout where you're using either 5K or 10K pace and doing either quarter mile, half mile, or mile intervals. And then another day during the week has kind of a longer, kind of like tempo, uh, using your half marathon race pace, and then the one long run over the weekend. And then in between those, there's just very uh, easy recovery runs, essentially, between the workouts. Okay, sounds like a pretty good structured program. Uh, How are you doing with the intensity? You know, two workouts a week, for someone of, of your ability is is what I would expect. Uh, how are you feeling doing 5K, 10K pace work? Uh, it feels great. Um, I, I think in the middle, I started to get a little fatigued. But um, even now, with the longer runs getting longer on the weekends, um, I, I, it, I honestly feel fine. I've actually been kind of lowering the pace a little bit the past couple of times because I haven't really been getting that tired during the training. So it's it's honestly been going great so far. That's good. Now, what's your mileage like right now? And what's your long run like right now? Because the day where so we're recording this on March 9th, probably won't go live for another couple weeks. But you know, you're roughly five weeks or so out from Boston. So you kind of you're you know, you're in you're in peak marathon training right now. So what does your overall mileage and long run look like? So the mileage right now, like I think this week, it'll end up being about about 55 total. And my long run this weekend is up to 22 miles. And the long run does vary. Essentially, every other week, it switches from like a longer aerobic run to one that is a little bit shorter, but you add in some of your marathon race pace. So like last weekend, it was a 16 mile long run, but eight miles of it were at my marathon race pace. Great. I mean, that's awesome. You're doing some really good training right now. You're Volume is really good. Um, if you're feeling that good, one of my suggestions would be if there's any planned reductions in mileage and weekly mileage over the next, say, three weeks, you know, the week of the 12th, the 19th, and the 26th, um, I don't think you probably need those. You know, if you're feeling good, if you're actually running faster in the workouts, um, I think you would actually get more benefit if if there is any reduction in in volume to just not take it, you know, maintain about 55 miles a week, you know, get in a solid four weeks or so of 
that peak mileage and you're going to come off of that just feeling so strong. Just, you know, most things are just going to feel easy because of the aerobic fitness you're going to gain from that higher mileage. Um, you know, of course that doesn't mean let's, let's cut the faster workouts because you're going to be running more. I think you can maintain that too. Um, you know, this is all based on the fact that you're just feeling really good. You're running faster than, you know, your assigned paces in the workouts and that's all incredibly encouraging. Okay. So let's see. I want to talk more about um, your long runs because those are what I think are the most indicative of your performance on race day. You know, if you can run a marathon specific long run and have it be honest, have it be challenging, have it be very similar to, you know, what, what you might experience on race day. And not only can you do it, but you feel good doing it. That is one of the best indications of what you might be capable of doing uh, in the marathon itself. So, you know, you're running, you just ran 22 miles for your long run. That's incredible. That's, you know, kind of the peak uh, maximum distance that I would recommend. Uh, and, and only for runners who, you know, don't take too long to get it done. Cause you don't really want to be running for more than, you know, say three and a half hours or so for your long runs. Cause just the injury risk is too high and the benefits just start to diminish at that point. There's a, a point of diminishing returns. So, um, you know, what kind of pace were you running for a, a 22 mile long run? The longest run I've done so far is 21. And I did kind of, I ran a little bit fast on that one. I did a 705 pace. Um, I, I actually, yeah, my watch, uh, I lost signal. I have a GPS watch and I lost, um, GPS signal during it. It was really foggy morning. And I also kind of got lost. So I went an extra mile. Um, so when I got back and I mapped it out and calculated my time, it was about a 705 mile pace, which I was pretty surprised about. Um, it felt very comfortable. And I <clears throat> really focused on making sure that I finished strong at the end and didn't die the last mile or two to make sure that I wasn't pushing it too hard. Um, so that was really surprising to me, honestly, uh, when I got back and I calculated what my pace was for that. Before that, I think my long runs were more on like the 7.15 to 7.30-ish pace. So they've, they've been getting a little faster each time, basically, that I've been doing it. And what is an effort level of a 21-mile run at about 7.05-mile pace? Is that, you know, does it feel like you are doing the first 21 miles of a marathon or for the most part, did it feel like, you know, just mostly like an easy run? Um, I'd say somewhere in between. I wouldn't say it was a super easy run, but um, I feel like at some point my my body just kind of locks into a pace that's just very comfortable. So it's not like I'm really like trying to push it or anything. It just feels right. And so I just go with it. And that's what ended up happening that day. Well, it should be encouraging to you that you just ran 21 miles at a significant PR pace. So if you were to run 705 yeah. for the full marathon, which, you know, only about five miles more, you're going to run faster than you ever have in the marathon. So uh, that's at a pace that is, you know, mostly comfortable. You're locking into your pace. You're not pushing it too much. So, you know, I think first and foremost, we should agree on you going after a PR in Boston next month. You're there. I mean, your long runs are there. Uh, your, your training is on point. You're ready, feeling good. Uh, you know, 20 minutes into our conversation and I'm just like, you know, we're, we're done here. Let's, let's go run a PR and, you know, you're, you're going to 
be off to the races, no pun intended. But um, one of the things I really wanted to talk in more detail with you about was, you know, not what you can do to run a faster marathon at Boston, because look, we have about a month. It's not an incredible amount of time. You really only have about three weeks or so um, of hard training left until you have to start tapering and, and resting. So I want to talk more about, you know, what you might be able to do for your next marathon, whether that's this fall, maybe you run another one a year from now in the spring of 2019. Um, is, is a sub three marathon something that you're going to try to tackle until it's completed? Or do you think you're going to be done with the marathon after Boston? Yeah, I think uh, I definitely now at this point, I, I want to keep going until I break three or until at least I'm happy with, <clears throat> with what um, I'm able to achieve. I, I did already sign up for another marathon that's in November, early November. Um, I don't know for sure if I'm going to do it. I was just afraid it was going to sell out. So I went ahead and signed up for it. But that one's kind of a flatter course. So I was hoping that if I can't get it at Boston, I could shoot for that one. Yeah, that's great. So a couple thoughts. Number one, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Boston is just a really, really difficult course. I know there are some runners who can run really fast on it. Um, particularly elite runners, but they're really playing with a winning hand. They were dealt a winning hand from birth. So they're able to do things that people like us just aren't really capable of doing. Um, they can recover from the downhill running. They can power up the uphills. They're just physically capable in a way that, you know, we aren't. So Boston, I think, should be the race where you focus on trying to execute a really smart race strategy. Um, but not, uh, I'm, I'm very hesitant about having you go after a sub three marathon in, um, in, at Boston, because, uh, I think you're kind of right on the cusp of running a sub three marathon. You know, I'd be more comfortable saying, uh, you're a three Oh five runner right now. But the thing is Boston, because it's so hard, you know, you might be able to run a PR. I'm just hesitant to say that you're going to run a 15 minute PR because that is a a big jump in performance. It's more than 30 seconds a mile. So I, I would say that, you know, on a flat course, you might be able to run anywhere from 301 to 305 in, in April. But on a course like Boston, it might be more like 305 to 310. Uh, so that's kind of like my thinking based on, you know, based on my limited knowledge of your training and your history and kind of how, where you're at right now. But November, if you're running a faster course, uh, one that doesn't have the hills, one that doesn't have the crazy early downhills like Boston does that, that really set you up to experience all this muscle damage so early in the race, especially if you go out too fast, that that's one of the reasons why the Boston course is so challenging. If you're running a faster course, you know, let's run 257. Let's go after it. Because I think um, one of the reasons why runners get better and better at racing the marathon is just through experience. You've only run one marathon and now you're about to run a very technical, challenging course. Uh, so I would use this as a learning experience, as a PR attempt, as a way to really execute a smart race strategy, as opposed to, you know, whatever the 259.59 pace is, I'm going to try to hit that for every mile split. Because a course like Boston, it's not really going to work. Okay. How does that sound? Did I just totally deflate you? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I mean, honestly, that's kind of what I expected to hear. That's what other uh, friends that I've had who have run Boston have kind of said similar things that even though you have a lot of crowds there cheering you on, the course is just so difficult with all of the up and downhill that none of my friends have been able to even get a PR on that on that course before. So yeah, I kind of expected that. Obviously, I, I still wish I could break three, but um, I, that's why I wanted to talk to you, though, is it, I don't want to go out and just destroy myself from the beginning and then have an awful race when I can still get a PR if I race it smart. So Yeah, and, and what I might recommend is something like uh, having in mind a 310 goal at Boston and getting to, say, the Newton Hills around mile 20 or so in in 310 shape. So you're right on track to run 310 pace at around the 20 mile mark. And then at that point, you know, once you crest the top of Heartbreak Hill, I'm pretty sure at that point, then there really aren't any more substantial uphills. And the rest of the course is a pretty substantial uh, net downhill. So if you are feeling good at that point, and you know, maybe you are because, you know, you're really in 302 shape and, you know, you've been holding back a little bit uh, over the first 20 miles because of the hills, because of the downhills too, then you might get, put yourself in a position where, you know, you're at 3.010 pace, but you're feeling good and you can pick up the pace a little bit and get yourself another couple minutes. So that is a race strategy, I think, is, is one that prioritizes a PR prioritizes you not crashing and burning too early in the race because you know that's just a huge kind of ego defeater uh, defeater it really deflates your uh your 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 drive and your ambition to to keep running really hard because it's you know it's just such a it's a difficult position to be in to be say halfway through a marathon and you just start falling off the turnip truck at that point so you know making sure that you can get to at least mile 20 in not just a PR um, position, but just in a spot where you're feeling halfway decent. You know, you're, you're never going to feel fully fresh and, and, you know, ready to hammer at, at mile 20 of a marathon. But, you know, you can still get yourself to a point where you can still put in some effort and, and, and knock down the pace a little bit <clears throat> if you're feeling good. And I think those, those downhills in the final six miles of Boston are really going to... Um, are really going to help you out. Now, the other thing about Boston is that the weather can be wildly erratic. So I, I think it's helpful knowing that, you know, all of our discussion is on, you know, ideal weather conditions. If it's 80 degrees, you know, it's, that's a really difficult position to be in. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I live in the Boston area and I've been watching the race the past, I guess, eight-ish years now. So yeah, I've seen a lot of the various weather that it can it can bring. So yeah, because of when it happens in the spring, that weather can be so unpredictable. Um, but I'm glad that you live in Boston, you know, you're, you're a a local, so you kind of understand the city, the terrain, the weather. Um, you know, you're not someone who is, is training in a very different environment. So hopefully, you know, maybe you can even get on the course to do part of your long run or a workout or something like that. Uh, and and that's going to help you on race day too. Now let's um let's transition a little bit to talk more about the future. Let's talk about kind of your sub three marathon ambitions and how you can really tackle that uh, in the future. So 
The great thing is, is that you're kind of doing really, really good training right off the bat. So you are not someone who's run fast on incredibly low mileage, no workouts, poor long runs. And so there's, you know, a lot of areas of improvement. Um, you know, you're doing some good training. Uh, the thing that you have working in your favor is that you've only run one marathon. You're going to be able to run more marathons, get more experience, get a lot stronger. And I have no doubt that you're going to be a sub three hour marathoner uh, if you just keep working at it. So it's just one of these issues of just keep saying persistent, keep putting in the work and you're going to get there. But I think in the future, you might want to just run a little bit higher mileage kind of in between you know, those formal areas of time where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely training for a marathon now. So I'm building up to, you know, that mid fifties mileage. You might want to run 40 to 50 miles a week, even when you're not training for a marathon. Um, you know, after Boston, you know, of course you're going to want to take some time off to recover, let your legs heal, make sure that, you know, even hormonally you're, you know, back to, you know, a, a very rested state before you start hard training. And with a November marathon that you're planning uh, this fall, if you do end up running that, you know, you don't have to start training for that until, you know, I would say maybe uh, July or, or very early August. So that leaves some time where, you know, you have two, maybe three months of time uh, that you could devote to other things. So now the question becomes, how do you structure the rest of your year? So, you know, let's say you run 309 at Boston. Um that's a great time. You just run, you know, about a five minute PR. Then I think if you're going to run a faster course in the fall, that should be your three hour attempt. So now the question is, what do we do from the end of Boston to November to maximize your chances of running a PR and not just a PR, but a sub three? Here's what I think you should do. I, I think I think when runners focus too much on the marathon, they lose out on some of the speed, some of the, the, the mechanics improvements, the power that you get from training for shorter races, like the 5K and even shorter. You know, you're, you're going to improve a lot faster. You're going to have a better well uh, of speed reserves to draw from in the marathon. And then at that point, it's just, you know, let's improve our endurance so that we can simply maintain those faster paces that we've worked so hard to, to build and to be capable of uh, for a longer period of time. So I might have you try to work on some really short races in, uh, say, June and July before you take another little break from running, you know, maybe not a full week, but uh, something like three to five days, maybe before you get into marathon training. So really what we're doing is we're kind of rotating through a marathon cycle right now. Then you're going to do a really short, maybe 5k, maybe you can find like a, a track meet in sometime over the summer that you can train for maybe a two mile or a mile, really work on getting fast. Then you can take that other little break after that kind of mini cycle. Then you can do another training cycle for the marathon for your November race. And I think what you should do is maintain decently higher mileage for that, you know, uh, May, June, some part of July timeframe, you know, once you've recovered from Boston, of course. And then, uh, you know, the, the speed, the relatively high mileage from that is going to transfer really well to marathon training. And then in marathon training, it might be a good idea to reach a new peak uh, mileage. Maybe that's 60 miles a week, maybe that's 65, depending on how you're feeling. But really what we're doing is taking 
the next logical step with your marathon preparation. And I don't think we need to run longer long runs. You know, I think you should peak at 22. That's kind of the max that I recommend for for any kind of runner. Maybe if you're an elite runner, you run a couple miles more. Uh, but you know, until you're running 240, you know, let's keep it at, at 22 miles. Okay. And then you know, I don't think you need to change much about how you're running your faster workouts. I mean, you're doing uh, about a tempo run and and some intervals, both of those uh, during the week, and you know, you really can't do more than that. Uh, and then what you're doing now with kind of rotating through an easy, longer long run versus a higher quality but shorter long run, I think that's a great approach. You know, that's kind of what I did in my marathons training. I use that a, lo- a lot with my one-on-one athletes. You know, we'll kind of go back and forth. You know, we'll we'll run 20 miles. Then the next week we might run 18, but we'll do some goal pace running. Then we'll run another 20 miles. And the next week we might run 19 miles with some goal pace running. So we're always kind of playing around with the distance and pace, but we're making sure that the athlete is always getting, you know, a good stimulus that is specific to the marathon itself. So I think those are some, some really high level ideas for you to, to think about, to uh, hopefully incorporate in your training after uh, Boston. And then, you know, I know we talked about a couple couple things that you can do between now and Boston, but for the most part, you know, you only have a couple of weeks left. What do you think about that kind of, a, of an approach for the rest of the year? Is that something that you're, you're thinking to yourself, I obviously don't want to do that, or does it seem reasonable? No, I, I think that definitely seems reasonable. I also, <clears throat> I do still really enjoy doing fast workouts and and getting fast. Um, like I still like to play like basketball and volleyball and things like that where being fast is really important too. So I, I do really enjoy working on that. I, and I think it'd be interesting to race a mile or a two mile again. I haven't done that since high school, um, but that sounds like it would be kind of fun. So yeah, that's the other great thing about those short races. They're, they're just fun. You know, I think a lot of people run marathons and they're like, yeah, they're kind of fun, like in quotes, but <laughs> like a mile is definitely fun. It hurts, but maybe it only hurts for five, six, seven minutes. Uh, but a marathon, you know, you're just out there for so long that it stops being fun after a little while. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what are some other things that I think would be really interesting to talk about with you? Um, so I think one big picture point that I think um, that I, I think is your, how should I describe it? The lowest hanging fruit for improvement for you is just going to be running higher mileage. If you've been running 30-ish miles a week, but getting up to 55 in marathon training, I would love to see you run 40 to 45 miles a week when you're not marathon training, but getting up to maybe 65 miles a week when you are marathon training. And, you know, over the course of a four, five, six-month period, those extra miles are going to add up and you're going to do the equivalent of like an extra month or two of training over those, you know, maybe five months or so. So it's going to be a pretty substantial increase in total volume over the course of a training cycle. And I think, you know, with you having uh, talent, having speed, having some success at the the, the 5k distance, um, you know, you just need to take that and parlay that into a good marathon performance. And one of the easiest ways that I think you're going to be able to do that in the relatively short term over the next year or so is just running more. 
And you're going to improve a lot just by doing that. Mm -hmm. One thing you didn't talk about were injuries. Uh, Are you someone who's getting injured a lot or, or are you relatively injury free? I've been relatively injury-free since I've started running consistently. I I did get a couple injuries in college. Like I had plantar fasciitis and I kind of tweaked my knee one time. Um, But since I've been running more consistently and sleeping a normal amount every night, that seems to be working a lot better for me. And I haven't really had anything happen besides falling on ice, which I don't really consider that the same type of injury. So, right. I wouldn't say that that is a, a running injury, an overuse injury or a repetitive stress injury. That's just a, an unfortunate injury that probably hurt your ego a little bit as well as your your body. (laughs) But that's, um, I, I would say that's really encouraging too. You seem to be someone who, you know, as long as you're taking care of yourself, you're sleeping enough, uh, you're running consistently and consistency is something that helps with injuries. So it's not necessarily high mileage that produces injuries. It's the building up to the high mileage um, because that's a, that's a period of time when you're asking more and more and more of your body. Whereas if you just get up to 50 miles a week and just stay there for a long time, you know, after a month or so, you're not really asking your body to deal with too much stress because the adaptation process has really given your, your body um, you know, the tools to handle the higher volume. So I think it's uh, a very good thing that, um, you know, you, you haven't really experienced too many injuries. And I would say that is even more encouraging for you to run uh, a little bit higher mileage during the next training cycle. Um, you know, if you're someone who's like, oh, yeah, I get injured every two months, it's constant battle, you know, then we'd have to take some, some strong injury prevention steps but you don't seem like the person who's super prone to injury. Um, so that's just going to give you license to train a little bit harder in the future. And, you know, you train harder, you're going to race faster. So um, you should be encouraged by your, you know, relative lack of injuries over the past couple of years. And uh, the fact that you've done that with running, you know, 20, 21 milers and two workouts a week. Uh, so yeah, that's great. And I think uh, you can keep doing a little bit more so that you keep improving. Okay. Yeah, that's exciting to hear. Let's see. The other question I had for you was on fueling. Um, when you ran your 314 in October 2016, uh, were you someone who like fueled obsessively or maybe you just had a gel or two during the entire race? Uh, tell me more about that and also, you know, the last five miles or so of that marathon. Was it, you know, the classic hit mile 20 and crash or how did the race play out? So I I did practice eating gels before running the marathon too, to make sure I could eat it and keep it down. So what I ended up deciding to do was to have four um, gels during the race. And so I ate them at, I think it was six, 11, 16, and 21 um, mile marks. And that race, I, overall, I went out pretty conservatively. So, I mean, I, I did beat my goal, but I, my goal was actually to, to break 330 during that race, and I decided to go with the 325 pace group. Um, so they went out actually a little too fast, and my first half marathon of that marathon was about, it was 140, pretty much spot on. 
So then I decided to just go for it and I pulled away from the group and I ran a 135 essentially then in the second half of the race. So I I did a pretty substantial uh, negative splitting in that race. And I definitely, the longest run I had done before that race was 22 miles. And when I hit that 22 mile and started going into mile 23, I definitely was starting to feel it. Like I was very tired and I was just kind of waiting for that wall to hit because I'd heard so many stories about the wall. And I was like, oh, it's going to hit any moment. And really, I never felt like I hit a wall. It was more of like, wow, I'm really tired right now. I'm going to focus on each mile and just not push it too hard because I was a little scared I was going to hit the wall if I tried to keep going. So I did slow down a little bit the last three or four miles, like maybe five seconds per mile or something. I slowed down um, and I I did finish fairly strong. Like I did pick it up the last quarter of a mile um, before the tape. And so I think overall, like it was a pretty, I was strong all the way through. Um, And I don't remember like a, a specific moment where I felt like depleted. Um, But it definitely those last four miles were by far the toughest part of the race. As they should be. But wow, Lindsay, (laughs) you've done what very few people have been able to do. You ran a extremely competitive time, your first marathon, and you did it with a substantial negative split. Uh, This is even more encouraging for the future. There's, There's so much to be excited about for your future of running, Lindsay, I'm excited for you. I wish I had so many things to look forward to in my own running, <laughs> but wow. <laughs> so th- this, this basically gives you license to go out faster than what you did previously. Um, you know, I think, I think you can, you can go out, you know, you went out in 140 last time. That's 320 pace. Uh, you can go out, you know, you, you finished in 135, which is not easy to do. What is your, I guess, is that your half marathon PR? That's roughly what your half PR yeah, is, right? And, yeah, and that race that I ran a 135 in for a half marathon, it was like I literally had only been running five weeks at that point. Um, so I feel like that's not really a fair half marathon time. I I did, during my last long run, I did get a half marathon PR during it of 129.45. So out of the race I've been running faster half marathons um I think that one was just like it was poor timing when I had my injury and stuff but yes I've had a kind of an odd half marathon history I guess (laughs) of course you did yeah I would say so um I, I I do think if you went out in about an hour 35 95 minutes for the first half of Boston uh that's not going to be that challenging for you, particularly because there's a lot of downhill in the first half of, of Boston. And, you know, most of the big hills don't really start until about mile 16 or so. So going out in 310 pace is, is going to feel not that challenging for you, I don't think. So that's what I would recommend. I would, I would try to be around maybe 134, 135 at the halfway mark at Boston. Uh, that is reasonable for you. And it's um, a a pace that I think for the Boston course is setting you up to have a little bit of extra energy for the back half of the race. I think the back half of Boston is more challenging than the the front half, not just because, you know, clearly you're 
running at basically a half marathon after you've already raced a half marathon. And so that's one reason why it's hard, but that's why every marathon is hard. Boston's particularly hard because there's a lot of uphills uh, in the first half of the second half and the downhills in the final half of the last half marathon are just when you're tired. And so you're you're, you're incurring all this muscle damage, uh, all those eccentric muscle contractions of you running downhill when you're fatigued. Uh, it just makes everything worse. So it really compounds at that point in the race. But, you know, if, if you're at, you know, 134, 135 at halfway, that I think is one going to be one of the best positions for you to run a, a really good Boston next month. All right, Lindsay, this was fun for me because I don't usually do these. And I just love spitballing ideas with runners on improvement and, you know, getting more out of themselves on race day. So um, I, I want to thank you for coming on and chatting with me and going over your training and, and sharing all your race results. Best of luck at Boston next month. Um, what else can I help you with? Is it, do you have any questions or what else can I do for you today? Yeah, I did have a question, a little more detail, I guess, in the time in between marathons. So like you kind of mentioned already doing a shorter race and then before going back into marathon training, but I don't really have a good sense of like when you go into marathon training again, like where do you start? Because obviously you still have like a really strong base. So I feel like I don't need to start at the beginning of a marathon training plan, but how do you decide where to start in a training plan then? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it kind of differentiates uh, most runners from really competitive runners. And I would put you in the latter category. I mean, you're, you're going for a sub three at some point this year. So I would say that you are a very competitive marathoner. And so very competitive marathoners train a little bit differently than, you know, someone who's just say running five and a half, six hours in the marathon. Here's, here's the difference. You don't need as much time building up your mileage in your long run. You're already in great shape. Even if you take a week off, you know, you don't have to start running 20 miles a week and then maybe 25 and then third week back, you're 30 miles a week. It's just too slow. It's just, it's not challenging enough for you and you're definitely capable of a lot more. So you can do something where, you know, your first week back might only be 25 miles. But then your next week back might be 35 and then you go to 40. And so even just one month into your kind of comeback, you're already running maybe mid 40s for mileage. Um, and, you know, you can stay at those higher mileages for a longer period of time. And, and the big difference here is that while a lot of runners spend a big chunk of their training building to their peak mileage, more competitive runners spend less time building, but more time at that higher mileage level. And that allows them to, number one, get comfortable with it. So, you know, maybe it's 60 miles a week, maybe it's 65, whatever it might be for you the next time around. Um, you know, you're not going to need like 16 weeks to get up to 60 miles a week. It's just, you don't need that much time. And so once you get up there, it gets starts to get comfortable, uh, you know, the, the workouts that you're going to be doing embedded within that higher mileage week, uh, you're going to be able to run them at a higher quality because you're just not so tired anymore. So that's kind of the big difference between, I think, training for a marathon as someone who uh, isn't able to run higher mileage uh, versus someone who uh, has some experience with it. You don't have to spend as much time building up to that. 
so yeah, you're definitely right. Um, you know, you can almost take a, a shorter period of time to train for the marathon because of that. You're not, you're not spending as much time building. You're spending more time at the higher mileage levels. So instead of a 16, 18, you know, I know you're currently on a 22 week training plan, which is really long. You might only need to, you know, formally train for the marathon for 14 or 16 weeks. So a lot shorter than your current marathon training cycle, but you know, you're not starting from scratch. I think, you know, it's very telling, you know, let's say you run 259 this November, you know, and someone asks you, wow, Lindsay, you've run a great marathon time. You know, how long do you train for this marathon? If you say, well, I actually only did a 12 week marathon program. That's very misleading. You've been training for this marathon for years. Every run, every workout, every race has built upon one another. And that's because running is cumulative. You know, what you do today is going to impact what you're able to do next week. And what you do next week really impacts what you're able to do the following month. So you have really been training for a marathon, a fast marathon for, you know, a year and a half, two years, you know, maybe even longer than that, all these years of consistent training. So, you know, you don't have to start, you know, super far back from the marathon and go through this long building cycle where you have all these weeks at lower mileage levels. That's just, uh, you're too advanced for that at this point. So I think now you can take the next step, um, train for shorter races during, you know, that kind of early summer to mid summer period of time. And then you can, uh, focus more on the marathon stuff for a shorter period of time, but still ensuring that you get up to those uh, good workouts, the good long runs, the higher mileage levels, because you're going to be able to do it in less time. Okay. Makes sense. All right, Lindsay. Well, this was fun. Uh, thanks again for coming on. I hope it was helpful for you. And I hope it was helpful for our listeners too, as they're thinking about their marathons, as they're thinking about structuring their training um, and taking, you know, the next step with things, you know, how can we continually build upon what we have done in the past so that we can continually get faster in the future. So thanks again, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Team SR member Lindsay. She'll soon be racing her next marathon and will be tackling her sub three attempt very soon. And I hope to update all of you later this year on her new PR that starts with a two. Finally, if you're like Lindsay and need more complex training because you're a faster runner, hoping to achieve your highest potential, don't miss our new advanced training plans at strengthrunning.com fast. As always, I'm excited to help you keep improving, keep running fast, and keep falling in love with this wonderful sport over and over again. I'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.